It's episode 73. I'm Pete Primo, and I'm here with John Kalensik. Success Secrets from Matrix Impact. We're going to be doing that in just a second. And let's get the show started with people we need to get paid. Sell a million. If you guys haven't gotten my book yet, you really need to. It's over 100 chapters, each with a unique uh, marketing or sales tidbit to help you make more money. And I'd like to thank our sponsors, Mattress Network Industry Group. What a great group, guys. Over 1,400 strong. Um, the premier Facebook group in the industry. It's absolutely free to join. Uh, you see that little QR code up there? J- just snap that and join as fast as you can. Because inside that group, you will find owners of stores. You will find owners of manufacturers. You will find VPs of sales. You will find sales reps, store owners, RSAs, all kinds of people who are interested in the mattress industry. This group is unique because it is a group that is run by retailers for the entire mattress industry where you're going to learn how to build, how to merchandise, how to market, and how to succeed in your business. How's that sound for you? All free. Join now and tell them Pete joined, uh, Pete sent you. And with that, John, welcome to the show. How's it going, Mr. Primo? Good. How was your Memorial Day, John? It was fan. Well, no, was it? It was, uh, it was, uh, I don't know if you ever heard the story about, uh, the guy who started, uh, the Black Sheep Squadron. Okay. And he, they asked him one time, what's flying like? He said, it's, uh, hours of boredom broken up by, seconds of sheer terror but that was what memorial day was like we were just putting everything <laughs> together and cooking and shopping and then the relatives come over and then all of a sudden you know they got everything going but uh lot of, lots of good stuff lots of fun baseball family the whole nine yards and plus we have a uh, quite a few military members in our family so we got a chance to make sure that we observe the holiday cr- the correct way yeah, you know, I my brother was in the Marine Corps for over twenty years, and uh, uh, I I left him a voicemail because he was at camp and he didn't have the cell phone. And I said, "Thanks for writing the check, and thank <laughs> God it was never that check was never cashed." Right? Yep. So, um, thank you to all of our service people um, everywhere, but especially those who gave their lives for our freedom. John, a lot of people don't know that before you were a successful owner of Mattress Impact, they a lot of people don't know you were actually a trainer for Sealy and and that really kind of had an impact on uh your career tra- trajectory when uh you know you found uh a certain feeling of success and helping other people um, have a better quality of life. And you kind of made a decision that you wanted to uh, pursue that dream on your own uh, with, with no handcuffs and do your own thing. Can you share that story? I I know someone that might've listened before, but we picked up a lot of listeners since then. And I think it's a story that so important to tell today's world. Sure. Yeah. So yeah, Matrix Impact started, you know, in my mind back when I was wet sealing. And though, you know, the 
the penultimate, if not the ultimate, you know, that, that kind of kicked it all off. I, I was always that, you know, that person looking for that next thing. I was a, you know, young kid, I was stupid, 27, 28. I always thought I knew more than my boss. But I, and, and everybody's been there, right? You know, particularly your sales. But with Sealy, what we did was they would bring people like myself out to the local factories. And then we'd learn the areas and we'd go out and talk to folks. Well, they happened to move me out to Denver. And I was in one of their Denver locations. And my job was to expand the balance of sale in Denver. And I went, you know, up and down 25 and east and west on uh, on 70 with all the stores corresponding around Denver, you know, as, as high as Wyoming, as low as New Mexico and, you know, east and west into Utah and into Kansas and, 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 and covering a lot of different areas. And it was, I was about a year and a half into it. I was just having these thoughts about, you know, what, what I wanted to do and am I really happy? I, I knew, you know, I hear you talk a lot in your stuff, Pete, where you talk about you got to have that feeling. If you don't have that feeling, you're active. Okay. Yeah. I hear you say, I hear you say that in a lot of different ways. And I had this feeling that I'm doing what I like, but there was just something missing. It was like having a hamburger and it tastes good, but if it just had bacon, it'd be better. Or if it just had cheese, it would be perfect or something like that. Right. And I'm down in, uh, uh, I'm down in Colorado Springs and I'm at the local JC Penny store down there. Actually, it's J.C. Petty One, the very first J.C. Petty store of all time. I actually met uh, the granddaughter of J.C. Petty, which was pretty cool. Well, I'm doing my class like I always do, where I, I teach them the whys and wherefores. We came up with something called comfort selling at ceiling. It was different than how even now how a lot of people sell mattresses. Everybody starts with that with the low price uh, ninety nine dollar twins, and you walk them up the you walk them up the line to the most expensive. And what happens is what with every step it costs more money. Well, we came up with something called comfort selling, where we we designed people's showrooms starting from the back down. Meaning, you know, we started with the you know three four thousand dollar mattress at first, so every step that they took saved them money. And I was doing the classes that I always do there. It was it was great, and you know how sometimes you know, you, you can almost feel like you're on automatic pilot. You know what I mean? I so I was kind of there. It was in December. I was kind of on automatic pilot, but I'd done it so many times. You know, nobody. I'm the only one who could tell. I was on automatic pilot. But it went good, went great as it always does. And then when I came back in January, uh, one of the gentlemen there uh, wanted to, you know, have a conversation with me. And I was like, what's up? And he's like, well, just come on over, you know, let's have a drink and blah, blah, blah. So I sit down with him and he starts to get emotional. And I asked him, what's the problem? And he said, John, I just got to give me a second to compose myself. And when he was finally able to talk, he told me about how a couple of the ideas that I gave him back in December actually helped him close some business. I go, well, that's great. That's my job. And he goes, John, just shut up. It was the stuff that you gave me helped me close business. I wasn't near my quota yet, but because the things that you gave me helped me close business, I'd hit my yearly bonus. And because I hit my yearly bonus, I was able to buy my daughter a bicycle that I wasn't going to be able to afford before that. And I just don't know how to tell you thank you. And it was kind of then, then the, the skies opened up and the clouds, you know, parted and the sun shone down. I mean, even now talking about it, I get, I get the goose pimples. I get it close up. <laughs> and, that's and, that's, great. and then all, and then all of a sudden that hamburger had bacon on it. You know, that hamburger had cheese, and cheese. on it and, yeah. and cheese. And it was, it was the perfect hamburger. So I had the feeling and I had that, that other thing, you know, that, that not everybody gets. So that's, then that's really where matrix impact started right then and there. So business has really gone through a lot of different 
I don't even want to call them phases. Um, I don't necessarily want to call them evolution. It's evolved. Yeah, it's. I guess we found ourselves in different circumstances in the last two years, and and a third one yet. You know, business was 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 terrible during the shutdown, and then it opened back up, and it was better than it's ever been in our life, and then it was extraordinarily good for us in the last uh, one and a half years, and now it's uh, it's worse than normal. Um, I wouldn't say the sky has fallen, but uh, I would not say that it's uh, just back to normal of 2019 normal. It's 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 slower than that. And so, you know, your business, John, you train salespeople. I mean, you, you have a lot of components to your business, but a, a big part of your business is you train business owners and salespeople how to sell. And so... And how to manage... For one salespeople too. Yeah, from one from one salesperson to another, what would be your best advice to our store owners right now in terms of, you know, how do you uh, stay focused, do what you need to do to be successful, even though it's not an especially great time right now? Um, how, well, what is your best advice? My best advice is, you know, treat it like the best relationship you've ever had. And I know that sounds kind of weird. So I don't know, you know, who's hearing this, who's married, who's not, who has a boyfriend, who has a girlfriend, who doesn't, but treat it like the best relationship you've ever had. We've all had relationships where we've been insanely attracted to somebody, but that person was a moron and we could put up with them for a couple of dates and they're like, oh, that's it. And we've also had situations where it was the exact right person, came from the right kind of family. They they had the same sensibilities as us. They, they're from the same, but we just weren't attracted to them. And then for those of us who are lucky enough, and I know Pete, you're one of them, I am one of them too, to find that one person that both the attractive part and the the the, the right part, the, the logistical part matched up, that's hard to find, right? Uh, you might say, well, how does that, you know, what's my best advice? How does that mean? Well, when things are really good, we can just use our intuition, our feels. We can use our feels to what, what we're trying. And we can, this feels right. This feels good. And you know what? Probably because the market's doing well and because you know everything's going, everything's going to work a little bit. And so we pat ourselves on the back because this worked. But what we've got to get to is, is that marrying of the logistics and the data with the feels. Okay. Cause when you do that, then you can't, that's an unbreakable bond. That's when you get married. That's when you have that person. And it's the same thing when we're, when we're working, I don't care what the business is, but particularly in sales, we can't just be going, well, I feel like this is this. I feel like our customers are like that. What does the data say? And are you even tracking the data? Are you even looking at the information that's out there? What's going on in your marketplace? What's going on in your neighborhood? How far is your neighborhood? What does your neighborhood look like? What, you know, what, when I say, what does it look like? You know, what kind of people live there? What kind of jobs do they do? And then what do you think will work with those folks? All right. Well, they're these kind of folks. So these kind of things react to them and so on and so on. We've got to learn to marry the data with the feels, the, the intuition with information. That's what we've got to do. And if we do that, evolution just happens. Okay. You know, you, you kind of poo pooed my word evolution, but it is. 
it doesn't matter if it was from uh, COVID-19 or, you know, some artificial market condition that happened or some policy that some politician threw. It doesn't matter. It's always going to be like that. There's always going to be something. But if we can base what we do, decisions on the data and the intuition, the data and the feels, then we'll continue to make the right steps going in the right direction. You know, that's that's awesome. I just want to unpack that a little bit. What does the data say? Are you even keeping track of the data? So I'm going to tell you something. Years and years ago, um, I forgot even when it was. I asked the store owner how business is. He goes, you know, it's a little slow. And he, just pretend this is a gra- graph sheet. And he opens it up. And he's got every year, every month, for the last 20 years, just on graph paper. And he said, you know, and he had it day by day. And he goes, for some reason, this two-week period is always slow. And he goes, and I'm really glad that I keep track of it because the reason I keep track of this data is because I start to panic after a few days of slow business. And I'm like, the sky's falling, the sky's falling. And then I get my graph out and I go, no, we've had this the last 18 years. It's the same pattern. We've seen this before. So look at your data. I think it's great advice. The sky isn't falling. Every store that I went into last week had, had customers in the store. Guys and gals, when it's really slow, there aren't customers in the stores. stores. (laughs) I've gone for weeks on end without seeing customers in stores. I know what that looks like. Hello. (laughs) I I know what that looks like. I know what that feels like. It feels like, oh my Lord, we're going out of business and I'm spending my gas money, hotel money, and eating in restaurants away from my family for no reason at all. So uh, we're not well, it, there, guys. We're not there. And it's a, it's a little bit more than that too, Pete. So let's take, use your example of what you're just talking about. Ooh, a little forehead action. Sorry about that. So um, <laughs> the guy, you know, the gentleman you're talking about, pulls out a spreadsheet. He goes, look, you know, every year it's like this, you know, this time of year, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, and he can see where the numbers are. Okay. But why is it like that every time of year? Why is it slow in that period? That's the important part. So I had a customer that they had their first quarter was always notoriously slow. But what they also had was a situation where they had a very long tenured staff, long tenured sales staff. And because they are long tenured, they could they had a lot of vacation time built up. Guess when they took their vacation as a general rule? Take a wild guess. Whenever it was slowest. Nope, they took it in December. Because this, this company's first quarter was always just abysmal. And they had all these salesmen that had all of this pent up vacation time that took it, you know, they basically, you know, from the Immaculate Conception to Christmas or to, you know, the, the, the second of January, they could take off. And, you know, they, they had the vacation time that was earned up. And they're always like, why is our first quarter always so slow? You can see that every year that our first quarter is always slow, but why is it slow? So that's what's important. Cause then, you know, if you say every year this time, you know, we're slow, what do we do to change that? Because if yes. you keep doing the same thing over and over and over again, well, there's a definition for that, isn't it? 
Insanity. Yep. So business follows activity. Mm-hmm. It always has. And when there's no activity in December, there's not going to be much business in January, folks. That's it's exactly just the way right. it is. It, it, business it, is a lagging. Business is a lagging indicator to success. The yeah. true, the true indicator of success is is activity. Uh, have I ever shared a story about my first job at Pitty Bowes about that one, about the activity thing? Ever tell you that one? I don't think You're so. Like this. So, th- so this ties into it really well. So I'm a I'm a young pup. I am 21 years old, all bright faced, and I'm a sales copier guy for Pitney Bowes out of Baltimore, Maryland. And I'm gonna I'm ready to take over the world. I, well, I was like freaking Tommy Boy. You know what I mean? I just <laughs> for, for 90 days. Did you kill days, your sale? Days, Did you kill your sale? And you just want to do this because you're gonna get cheaper brake pads. I say, <laughs> get a good look at a bull. Uh, never mind. Uh, but nah, anyway, so don't, don't please stop. I won't do that. All right. So, so <laughs> I went 90 days where I was busting my butt, you know, walking the streets of Baltimore, knocking on every possible door in my territory. And I, I mean, I was making, I was making somewhere in the neighborhood about 35, 40 door knocks a day. All right. My brother, wow. told, my, my brother told me, he goes, John, you're a professional visitor. I go, what do you mean? He goes, well, you're not selling anything, but you're going to a lot of different places. So you're visiting. But you're getting paid to do it, so it makes you a professional visitor. My brother, one of the, the side note of the story is my brother actually worked at uh, Pitney Bowes. That's how I got the job right out of school, blah, blah, blah. Well, my boss calls me in one day and says, John, we've got to talk about your career. And I'm like, oh, boy. So I sit down. I go, I go. listen, Mark, I understand. You, you know, I don't want to embarrass my brother. My brother's one of the top salesmen there. I don't, I don't want to embarrass my brother. I'll just quit. I'll slink away. I, this just it wasn't a fit. He goes, no, no, no. Just let me, let me talk for a second. So he reaches under his into his uh, bottom drawer and he pulls out a file about yay thick. Okay, he drops it and it makes a, you know, boom on the desk. He goes, you know what this is, John? I go, no idea, Mark. He goes, this is the list of complaints that we've gotten about you since you've been out in the field. I was like, oh, <laughs> Mark, I already said I'll quit. Okay, you don't you don't got to throw something else on the fire here. I will quit. I will back out. I don't want to be brother. He goes, no, 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 you don't understand. We know how many we they knew what the ratio was from between complaints and actual calls. And it's usually somewhere in the neighborhood of like one complaint for 50 calls. And they had a stack of them. And they said, John, if you're making that many calls and not getting any success in sales, then it's about us. And we're not giving you what's proper, the training to be better at your job. And we've got to sand off, rub off some of those rough edges. Because if you're making 35, 50 door knocks a day and you're not having any success, it's either one of two things. Either you're completely brain dead or we're not doing our job training you. And you know, incidentally, Pete, that was one of the first, you know, when I started first figuring the, you know, the got to have the right person. It's about activity. It's also about continual development, making sure it's not just about hiring somebody and tell them to go get in the territory. You got to always be working with them. All right. But it made sense. I spent a little extra time. You know, I stuck around the office a little extra hours. The manager was willing to do that. The manager also rode with me a little bit more than he did with the other folks, you know, until I got on my feet. And before long, I was rivaling my brother on a monthly basis in terms of being the top salesman of the office because, you know, you combine the level of activity with improved skill set and then you got some. So. Mm. So Mark did not let you quit. 
he would not let me quit. No, but he, he it was funny. You know, he, he, every time I, it, you, you see the, 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 the grin on his face, every time I'm like, Mark, I'll just quit. And he just, he just beaming from ear to ear. Cause it was never about, you know, me quitting. It was never about him firing me. It was only about me understanding that my activity was great, but my skill set was low. Okay. And that's where it was. And so, you know, you can be, you can have all the, Got to go, got to go in the world. But if you don't have the skill set, you got nothing. Okay. Because you're just going to keep on doing the same thing wrong, which ties into what we're talking about. If you're just doing the same thing wrong over and over and over again, you get the same results. And that's where I was. So I got the, you know, and so when you get that information that tells you, okay, I've got to make a change. Now I was a stupid 21 year old. So I didn't have any idea what I was doing. He was able to look past that and see the big picture and say, this is what John's doing wrong. And he rubbed off the rough edges. That's awesome. So, John, you have um, your business is not just strictly you're a sales trainer and that's that. You kind of get dragged into different aspects of the business. And some of those aspects of the business, I think, would be very helpful um, for our, for our store owners today. to understand a little bit more about. And one of the, the most common things that I'm hearing out there is, Pete, it is so hard uh, to hire people. Um, and even when you think that they're hired, they're, they're not even hired because until they've shown up for like a couple of weeks straight, you really don't know. that yep. you, Can you get, get into some of that? And maybe, sure. you know, what you do to kind of help your clients uh, have more success with that? Yeah. Well, there's three specific areas that work in hiring assessment, continued development and lead generation. But let's talk specifically about hiring assessment. So it's, you know, know, the first, first rule of thumb is it's all about your people. I don't care how many great systems you have, you don't have people to operate them, you don't don't have anything. Simple as that. Period. End of sentence. All right. So the thing I want to share with you is a couple quick bits that's going on today. First of all, what is the most returned or the most uh, responded to form of correspondence today, Pete. Do you know what it is? It's probably not a phone call. Okay, you're burning daylight. It's a text, okay? People return text, okay? Because they have the control. That's where we're at. People want the control of what their personal life is about. And I'm going to tie this stuff by reading assessment. So don't you worry your pretty little head about that. All right. So that's what they do. They look at text. The next thing that they do, okay, the next thing that they, that they, they'll look at is voicemail. Why? Again, that puts them in control. If somebody calls, it rolls in the voicemail and then they can listen at their own convenience and decide what they want to do with that. The third is email because again, Email comes into them. They look at it. They can control what they want to do with that email. And the final is the phone call. Final is the phone call. Now you might say, well, what the heck does that have to do with hiring assessment? Well, managers and store owners are doing it all the same. They, they haven't changed. They're doing everything by picking up the phone. They might get a resume, might get a person's name. They're picking up the phone, leaving person a message and wondering why somebody's not getting back to them. Well, that person is probably getting 35, 40 voicemail messages. And they're deciding which ones they're going to want to return. If they see a number from uh, 303-555-1212 
And they're going to say, yeah, I don't know anybody at 303-555-1212, so I'm not going to bother. But if they got a text from that and it said exactly what it was, they're probably going to return it immediately. So the the first little, you know, the little tip, a uh, little secret to success I'll tell you in hiring now is, is when you start to get resumes in, don't call these folks. The phone number that they're putting on those resumes are cell phones. Text them. And let me give you some numbers that back that up. My last two hiring jobs that I've had, I've ever, and, and it's, it's changed over the years. I used to average, let's tell you what it was. When I'd make phone calls out, I'd average somewhere between a 30 and a 40% hit rate, which was still pretty high telephonically. I've changed that. So now I'm averaging between 65 and 75 rate, and I'm starting with text. I'm getting people to call me back, putting me back in control of the situation. I said a text, hi, Steve, this is John Klitzik from XYZ Company, whatever company I happen to be representing. Uh, we got your resume. We're very interested in talking about a, about a position with our company. And sometimes, you know, in the, in the same evening that I'm doing these, by the way, that's when you want to do these. You want, don't want to do these even during the day. You want to do them at night. I'll have 15 or 20 backup texts where people are saying, yeah, John, give me a call. Yeah, give me a call. This is a better time to reach me. Blah, 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 blah. Just from that initial thing. And it's, it's doing things differently. And, and what I've come to find out is, you know, people, you know, there's two barriers that, that business owners and managers deal with. They deal with a barrier to entry and they bar- deal with a barrier to change. The barrier to entry is, like I said, not understanding about the texts and the, the flow of uh, what people actually do now. But then there's the barrier to change. And you know what this sounds like. Well, this is the way we've always done it. And this is what's going to get us through these tough times. Okay. Okay. I'll, I'll see you later then. You know, so you've got to be willing to change and go along. With, and it's based on the data. This is just what people are doing. People are looking at texts more than anything else. And if you do, if you refuse to look at the data and act on what it tells you, well, you know, via cut huevos, go with eggs because there's nothing I can do to help you. That's that's very helpful. So I, I never would have thought about that. So text them back immediately when you get the resume. What else? Yep. Okay, so that's the first part. So now when you get that, you've got to treat you got to treat candidates and I'm using metaphors here, so please don't think that I'm, you know, uh, I'm minimalizing the situation, but you got to treat candidates like pizza. And when do we like to eat pizza? When it's nice and piping hot. We don't like cold pizza. We like when it's piping hot. These people come in, they send it, that's when they remember what they're doing. That's when they remember that they send in this resume to this particular position. But a lot of people, you know, they send it off to the side. They'll, you know, I'm going to wait until I get about 20 or 25, and then I'm going to hit them all at once. No, hit them as they come in. Hit them as they come in and you might say, well, gosh, John, you know, I want to make sure I get to see a whole bunch of them before I do that. No, you don't. You only care that you get the right person. If you get somebody who's the first resume and you got such a great feeling about this person, hire that person. Don't sit there and wait. I had to compare them to two or three other people because you know what else you should be doing? You should continue to be hiring. You should continue to be interviewing. So let's say I get that great person in the first with the first resume, but I got another 20 or 25. I don't stop there. It's like you said, Pete, and you, you, until they're there for a couple of weeks, you don't know that they're there because at the right. end of the day, the greatest ability is reliability or dependability. <laughs> That's the greatest ability in the world. So until you know that, you keep on interviewing until you make sure that you've got the right person. Okay. Sometimes it's, are they, do they even show up for the first day or do they show up for the second day or the second week? So you keep hiring until you've got that right person and you go through all 20 of those resumes. But if you think you've really got that right person, you know, you ask the questions, everything feels good. 
don't second guess yourself. Go with that person. Now, there's a whole other piece of that too, Pete. You got to have a a good system in place. You know, you got to have questions. You got to be asking the same questions of every candidate. You got to have a process on how you do that. We don't have enough time to go into everything today, but you get the gist. There's got to be a process to do that. But don't, you know, don't doubt yourself if you think you got the right person. You can continue to hire. There is no law that says you can't continue to hire. Because what's the worst case? Out of the other 20 or so resumes that you happen to find one or two other people that are also great. Oh my gosh, that would suck if I have to hire three really good salespeople all at the same time. I would hate that. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Don't let them cool off. That no. is that is priceless. Treat them like pizza. Yes. Don't let them cool off, guys. Um. So instead of diving into why it's changed, it's changed. Yeah. The way uh, people approach jobs has changed. What can we do if I own a store? What can I do to keep the good people that um, that I have? Ah. You've reached do? the last barrier, Pete. All right. So there's the barrier to entry, the barrier to change, and then this is the last one. It's the barrier to retention. Okay. Yep. And and this is possibly the hardest one. And I'll tell you why. Because not everybody is a good manager like the manager that I had at Pitney Bowes that saw through me scaring the crap out of receptionists to get in the door to talk to him about copiers. Not every manager is like that. Right. So the the key to retention and in, you know, there's all these different stupid theories. Well, gotta give them a hiring retention bonus. And they want to be constantly reaffirmed. And you hear all of this hokey pinocchio crap. But at the end of the day, if we're talking about, you know, people who are in production positions, what they want to know is that they're doing a good job and they get paid for it period. Okay. That's all they want. Salespeople are the easiest people in the world to pacify. And everybody goes, oh, salespeople are so tough. No, they're not. All right. Help them close deals and then show them how to do it and then let them do it themselves and then let them know when they're doing well. And if they continue to do well, give them a bonus on occasion. Come up with a commission plan that's better. So many store managers are afraid to give salespeople more money. Oh, they're overpaid. They're overpaid. There's a fantastic story about Summer Red, Redstone and Tom Cruise, how uh, sometime uh, Summer Redstone said something about, well, after he bought, uh, I forget if it was Fox or Paramount, he bought one of these movie studios. I think it was Paramount. He bought Paramount and he goes, uh, best thing about my job is I now have the ability to fire Tom Cruise. And Tom Cruise, well, that's really not true because I'm not really fireable. But, uh, you know, but you know, what Summer said is he said, all actors are overpaid. And what Tom Cruise said was, yeah, we're overpaid, except we're the people who put, put the butts in the seats. It's the same thing with sales folks. If you've got a sales performer, pay them. Don't pat yourself on the back because you came up with some commission plan that's going to save you an extra 5% a year. Reinvest that. that Stop, stop. Say that again. Slow. Okay. If you don't pat yourself on the back because you come up with some silly commission plan that's going to save you 5% year over year. Okay. Oh, look, I came with this commission plan and because I did it, the salespeople are getting less, but it saves us 5% overall. Take that 5% and reinvest in your business by giving it to the salespeople because they're more motivated to sell because they're getting paid. We're real simple animals at the end of the day. We sell more, we make more money, hence we want to do that. 
Do you know why people don't leave jobs as salespeople? Because they're making too much money. Okay. That's why they don't leave. So help them make as much money as possible. Now, there are other positions in stores. I understand that there are drivers, there are, you know, there are admin folks and that kind of thing, but it's really not different than that. We always think that we can pat ourselves on the back thinking, we, Oh, look, I got this driver. Instead of, you know, instead of $17 an hour, I'm getting over 15. Oh, that's great. And so he doesn't come back the third day. Fantastic. You just save, you know, $2, you just save $48. Yeah. I mean, he, 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 good job, you know, but now, now as a result, your mattresses are getting delivered, you know, pay, you know, people a little bit above standard wage to get started and then let them earn everything else after that. Okay. Because they think that they're getting more money up front for a job that, that they go through and it goes to Glassdoor, they go through whatever. And they see that most people get paid this or they get paid that. They say, well, why is this guy paying more? And say, because I want you to stay with me. And then all you got to do is continue to do that because those are the kind of people that are going to continue to do well. And you've got no problem, and I'm saying this rhetorically, you've got no problem paying somebody who continues to do well. You just don't, okay? Right. And if you do, get out of business and just or just you know run the business yourself because if you don't if you don't like paying people who do well, you shouldn't be you know be in charge of people, you know, because there's going to be coming after you with pitchforks and stuff like that. Wow, you got there's a lot of gold. I want to unpack that when I come back from my my halftime break, but for those of you at home that already have the book, I want you to go to page 153. Take selling furniture and mattresses. I'm hired. Now what? In the past day, I received two emails from two different new sales people thanking me for their initial mattress training. They then asked me, what they could do to be as productive as fast as possible. My answers included both short-term and long-term strategies and tactics. Here they are. Mentor. Model yourself after a successful salesperson. Find someone to help you, hopefully more than one. Perspective. Never forget the first time you shop for mattresses. If you remember the emotions and the thoughts you felt, then you have empathy for your customer. That empathy will help you to engage your customer in a meaningful way that will uncover their desired outcomes, which is the first step in any selling process. Basic knowledge. Learning the terminology for mattresses is a great place to start. Also, learning the sizes is imperative. The Better Sleep Council is a great a uh, resource for unbiased, non-brand specific information uh, for customers use it and your customers use it and you should too. You can access it right here and uh, all you guys, guys got to do is put Better Sleep Council in the Google search box. It'll pull right up. The three little bears. This one is too firm. This one is too soft. And this one is just right. Lay down on every mattress in your store and catalog them in your mind from the softest to firmest, making special notes which mattresses have similar feels. Knowing the mattress, how the mattress feels in relation to each other is critical foundational knowledge for any salesperson. It enables you to direct the customer based on feedback they give you. Eliminate confusion. One of the challenges we have when working with a retail customer is to narrow the selection 
based on good <clears throat> questions. Comfort tests. There's a little hat tip to you and your mentor. And feedback from them. The easiest system is comfort selling. To read more, visit PetePrimo.com book links. Commitment. Top retail salespeople have one thing in common. They come in all different shapes and sizes. Male, female, short, tall, skinny, fat. Doesn't matter. They have one thing in common. They are committed to their success. They view themselves as the president of their own sales company. To read more, visit PetePrimo.com. Lastly, shop your competitors. When a salesperson is new, they should take advantage of their anonymity and shop their competitors before they get shopped because it'll be very short-lived. Before they know it, they'll know that you work at ABC Mattress Company and you can't shop anybody anymore. But for a few weeks, you're good to go. Have at it. You'll learn a lot. What to do, what not to do. Shopping your competitor provides you with a wealth of information that will help you make more sales. And then I'll just add this one little thing. Epic book, visit it often. Facebook user. I don't know what Facebook user, but whoever that is, that guy or that gal is really, really smart. She <laughs> sounds you. smart. She sounds smart. And Pete, let me add on one thing. What, you know, that, uh, that particular uh, uh, excerpt that you read, a smart business owner or a smart sales manager would take exactly what you said and turn that into his or hers training process for somebody new coming in. Okay, you want the you want the salesperson, like you said, to treat it like it's their own business and to run it like they, that's because that's how the best salespeople do. They treat it like they're running their own business. But a smart business manager or a smart owner would take exactly what you put down in that chapter and turn that into their training program and what they put their people through to make sure that they and that's one of the barriers to retention too. By the way, then I'm going to tie this all together. So the reason why people leave is because they hit a certain plateau. Now they want to continue to get paid more but they may not be getting as better, as good as they could. They may not be selling as much or performing as well as they should. And the reason, more times than not, it's not because the person is un, is unwilling to learn. It's because the manager does not teach them. The manager thinks it's just, just his job to marshal the sales force and to count the money at the end of the day. I do not give a lick for a sales manager or a store owner who operates as a sales manager that does not spend time with the sales reps. I don't mean, you know, buying donuts for them and, and shooting the poop, you know, and buying drinks for them and that kind of stuff. I'm talking about sitting with them on the floor, listening to them as they're talking to customers and then coaching them up after that. That's what it's all about because that's where you learn. You know, if that person goes through that and they fall and they stumble, then I mean, I'm, all I'm doing is echoing what, you know, my, from my very first lesson at Pitney Bowes, you know, if they fall and they stumble, and they come off and maybe they didn't do as well, or maybe you heard something because you're on the floor and you know where to insert yourself to make sure you can still save that sale. You've just saved that sale. Not only made you money, you've made that person money. All right. And they're going to remember that, but not every manager does that. Oh, I'm too busy. I've got to go look at schedules. I got to go look at, there is nothing more important than what's going on in the floor at any given time. And trust me. So you said something that I wrote down help them close sales. So I, it made me go back in my mind, John, and uh, I worked for a furniture store and there were two other salespeople plus the owner. 
uh, and me, and I was the new guy. But every Wednesday, both uh, the other two guys were off. So I had all the customers. And the overflow guy was the store owner. And his name was Craig Price. And the name of the furniture store was Price Chopper Furniture. And as you could well imagine, it was promotional. But the lessons Mm. that I learned there have followed me my entire career. And uh, just because it was promotional furniture, uh, the lessons just translate all the way across. The first thing he said to me is, Pete, every customer that walks through the door on Wednesday is going to buy and you're going to get paid for it, whether I wait on them or you wait on them. If you have a customer, Pete, and you can't close them for whatever reason, I don't care what I'm doing. You come get me and I will come out and I will close that sale for you and I will stick your name on that sale and you will get full commission. Now, the reason he said that is because usually when you get a TO person involved, you lose half your sale. That's why a lot of people didn't want to turn over sales, right? He goes, I only have one rule. You can't leave. He goes, I don't want you to sit on top of me, but I want you with an earshot. I want you to hear what I say, what they say. And so every Wednesday, John, I had alone time with the owner and he would watch me screw up and do things. And you know what? Sometimes he would coach, but most of the time, the way that I learned the best was I would turn, I would turn over everything just because I didn't want him to think that I screwed it up. And Mm -hmm. I would turn over sales that I thought, John, there is no way God's green earth that Craig Price is going to make this sale. I don't care what he does. And I can't tell you, John, how many times he closed a sale because, and it wasn't even on the same stuff. He switched them all the way around. So walked them back through a more thorough, a more complete process because we know as sales professionals that usually the inability to close means something went wrong in the qualifying, in the uncovering stage. And if you don't revisit that stage, all the you know cute little closes in the world aren't going to help you. And if they would help you and it was the wrong thing, surely you should not want to be part of that on a human level or a professional level. Um, and so my time with Craig was invaluable. And, and I'm going to say something very controversial. Because back in the 80s, they always used to sit there and beat themselves on the chest and say, customer is king. And I still hear some of that. You know what my owner used to say to me? He used to say, Pete, the customer is a human being. You're a human being. I want every human being that works in my company and who visits this company to be treated with respect and with dignity. And Pete, because you're a salesperson and the customer feels like they're king and they can run over you. No, they can't. No, they can't. And I will kick them out of the store if they treat you that way. I will not allow it. And I prohibit you from being treated that way. Now, if somebody wants to behave badly, they could take that and run with it. Right? Yeah. 
but you are not less than them. You're a human being yeah. and you should be treated with dignity. And so this is what he really said. Pete, I care about you as a human being. You're just Correct. not a machine. You're just not a money crank for me to get more sales. You're a human being. You're part of my team. I want you to be treated with respect and I want you to demand that you're treated with respect. And yep. I thought that was very interesting and it was countercultural at the time, especially and still today would be. Um, I think letting our people know that we care about them is huge. I'll never forget a salesperson. Yeah. Um, all the other salespeople were leaving uh, and they were going over to another store. And this one guy who was a very good salesperson wouldn't leave. And he said, um, he was asked why he wouldn't leave. And he said, you know, I was an alcoholic. And the owners of this company gave me a second and a third and a fourth chance. They helped me pay for my rehab. They gave me a job when no one else would. I'll never, ever leave these people, ever, for any amount of money. These people are my family. So this is what I would say. I'm not telling you to hire alcoholics or drug addicts, but I'm going to tell you something. If somebody has had a challenge, regardless of what it is, and you feel like they've come out the other end and you can give them a chance, you might be rewarded with some loyalty uh, that you could never, ever hire for in a million years. Yep. Uh, so I thought that was very interesting. And this other thing that you wrote, you said it a different way and I wrote it as salespeople want to feel appreciated. And um, I think that, you know, at the end of the day, we really do work. Salespeople work for money, but there has to be other things other than money. Well, let, 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 me, let me interrupt for a second. So let me ask you this. What, what, when people get hired, okay, for sales, what's the number one thing in the background that a lot of managers look for? Got me. The number one thing. Okay, enterprise rent-a-card, okay? You know what the number one thing that they look for? Okay, and they make no bones that this is what it is, a major corporation, sports history. They want to oh. see that this person was an athlete, okay? You could walk into any enterprise and say, oh, they, you see the tall girl. Oh, you played volleyball, didn't you? No, as a matter of fact, I was basketball. I mean, it's just, and you're seeing the big guy. Oh, you're a football. Yeah, offensive lineman. My point is this. Think about that mentality. Sure, we want to get paid, but athletes or people who are competitive also want the recognition. We don't just, you know, we just don't do the sports, you know, because, you know, we're really good at it. We do sports because there's that juice that comes from making a sack on a quarterback and being able to jump around. You know that that feeling is like, or shooting through the gap and tackling a running back before he gets too far. And next thing you know, it's fourth and four and they got a punt. And, you know, you're running out there and everybody's cheering and they're cheering for you. That's one of the things that they're going for. So if you think about that, that mentality, sales is just like that too. Sure, you know, we play because we love the game and that's the money part, but we also play for the recognition. 
We lying. We are lying fools if we say that we don't like getting clapped off. We're lying if we don't say that we don't like people screaming our name when we made a big play. That's a bunch of crap. And it's the same way in sales. So there's there's a recognition part that we dismiss at our own peril. We just can't do that. We've always got to look at that part. And it's it's just so it's just it's baked into a successful salesperson. No, there's always unicorns, of course, you know, that are out there that are, you know, they're just these, you know, robotic rain men salespeople that are like that. But it's it's in the high 90s that it's not. And it, and it may not be in sports, but I'm telling you, the best salespeople are always the most competitive. You know that. They're always, what can I do better? You know, how can I compete? Like, da, 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 da. They're sitting there, they're, they're putting money on, you know, tossing out paper wads, for goodness sake. They're putting money on and how far they can throw the the, uh, the mattress spring that came out of all the returns and so on and so on. That's just what they do, okay? So, you know, the recognition is a big thing and that's that's like part of that change, you know, that, that barrier to retention. Sales managers just think, well, I'm paying them, so that's all that's necessary. No, they want to feel, they want to feel appreciated. You know when you feel appreciated? When somebody spends time with you, when somebody does the little kindnesses for you, because anybody can throw money at it. I mean, and you know, the, the world's full of stories about the rich kid who got into trouble in insider training, where there, there's another story in the same newscast about a guy who uh, he come from the wrong side of the tracks, but he was raised by his grandma or his aunt, and he wound up becoming one of the best guys in the world. And it's because the grandma, the aunt spent time with them and the rich guy just got, you know, uh, got bicycles and all kinds of, you know, money things thrown at him. Who do you think is going to turn out better? The person who got more attention or the person who got more gifts? So you got to combine it. And it goes back to that whole combining the two things. You got to combine the emotion and the information. You can't do one without the other. They both got to be married. When you can combine those two, you get the strongest possible setup. No, I was laughing because I was uh, I was in retail for about nine years, uh, right after school. <clears throat> in my first rep job, I end I found myself in front of the owner of Serta Mattress. Back then, it was Bert Kaplan, God rest his soul. And uh, Bert was a very, very smart guy. Um, always was looking behind. Um, Always look in a couple doors further than anybody else would look. So my sales manager, Jeff Allen, has to leave the room. And there I am. I'm sitting alone with Burt Kaplan. Now, I'm already hired and I'm being trained. So I think I'm okay. And this guy starts asking me, so Pete, tell me a little bit about you know yourself. So I'm like, you know, less is more. So I'm not going to say anything more than I acted. So I barely say you don't, you don't you don't you don't want to say anything that he's gonna not like and then he toss you out the door. I, exactly. That's exactly what I was thinking. And I'm like, I'm not gonna say too much. And uh he goes, you know, you look like you were an athlete. Yeah, yeah, I was. Yeah, well, what sport? And I said, Well, you know, football. And uh he goes, I, I bet you were pretty good. Said, yeah, it's pretty good. And he goes, uh so did you play in college? Yep. I played in college and, uh, he goes, well, that's really good. He goes, uh, did you get, did you get to play on the field quite a bit or, and I said, yeah, I did. And so by the time Jeff comes in, Bert's got the goods, you know, yeah, two time yeah. all American, 
college, most valuable player in the uh, only player to ever win most valuable player in the conference twice, the the whole nine yards. <laughs> and and Bird is beaming, beaming because like he 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 filleted me. Yeah, but this is what Bert's whole point to the whole thing was why he didn't let me off the hook. He said, you know, the people who are the most successful in our business are the ones who were competitive athletes. He goes, it's, it's infallible. It it just, it, it, it just works that way. So that's why I was smiling because I had the experience. And of course, of course, uh, when me and Jeff got back in the car, Jeff goes, well, that went well. I said, yeah, uh, trust me, Jeff. I didn't volunteer anything. I didn't have to. He goes, no, he's got a way of getting it out of you, doesn't he? And I said, yeah, he does. See, he, he's Just so you know, he's very excited. He goes, now the pressure's on. <laughs> yeah, I'll, take, I'll take that kind of pressure as opposed to the pressure when you're walking up and down, knocking on doors, trying to get a job, though. So. I, I just want to unpack one thing that you said, and it's so significant. Um, and I, you went at it one way, and I came at it the opposite way, and I wrote this down. Find ways to pay your salespeople more money. If, if you as an owner are trying to find ways to... Same guy, Craig Price, Christmas party, hands me a money clip. Other two store managers hands them a money clip. He goes, oh, I forgot something. He goes, just so that you guys know, I made a lot of money last year. And he goes, you guys did well too. He goes, but this year, you guys are going to make a ton more. And I am so sorry. I almost forgot. And he pulls his wad of $100 bills out. And he gives us each one to start off with the put in the money clip. And I said, man, that is, that was so impactful because the guy, what what he said, how he looked you in the eye, how he shook your hand, how he patted you on the back. He, you know what? This guy really cared and you could tell that he cared. And you know, to the point where you would, you know, overlook every other potential flaw and you'd really literally run John through a brick wall for this man. And I think that's where we as store owners want to be. And not everybody, not, not every employee has the capability to be loyal, but at the end of the day, I believe that we attract what we are. And, and, yes. and that sucks when we hire someone that's just a bad hire. And it, 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 it actually like hurts. And like, how did I not see this coming? How did I attract this person to me? Because this person shouldn't have wanted anything to do with me because we're so unlike each other. Because I tell the truth. I work hard. I make things happen. And I thought this person was just like me, but they don't tell the truth. They don't show up on time and they don't make things happen. How could yeah. I have done this? How could I have been so dumb? Yeah, I'll, check, I'll tell you why you're so dumb. Because it, that the line that you said there, which you just said, we attract what we are. Okay. Think about that. We attract what we are, but how do magnets actually work? Okay. You know, 
when you have Opposites. two things exactly okay so my point being is is this this is one of the things i pride myself on because if you hire poorly it's a reflection on you right so i pride myself on the people that i bring in because they're a reflection on what i did but more to the point of the way you were putting it like with, with the folks when you're hiring in your store manager unfortunately what you do is you do what you try and find these people who are like you that is the exact wrong thing because you're not going to ever find another Pete Primo. I'm never going to find another John Klensick and my wife would say, thank God. All right. <laughs> yeah. So you know, the, the, the point is, is what you've got to do. I had, I had a person that I hired at a, at a, uh, uh, a staffing agency and she said, uh, she said to me, she was getting a little frustrated. She was doing well, but she was getting a little frustrated. She said to me, she was, John, you know, I was trying to coach her. She was, John, I know, I know. You're trying to build us to be little Johns. And, you know, because you're so good. I I go, you're missing the whole point, Diane. I'm not trying to build you to be little Johns. I want you to be the best Dianes that you can possibly be. I don't want a bunch of little Johns because that'll be boring. I want the best Diane. I want the best Bob. I want the best Mary. That's what I'm looking for. And if you can do that, if you can get that across, that you're not trying to, you know, do that. But most ma- but store owners and managers aren't like that, right? They say, oh, I got the, oh, I went to St. Ed's. Okay, oh, yeah, this guy's a St. Ed's guy. This guy's a Catholic school guy. So I, I got to hire him because, you know, he's just like, don't do that. That's why you got to have a process in how you hire it. And you got to be asking people the same questions because if if they you hear something like, oh, I went to Bald Walls. Oh, I went to Bald Walls too. And then all of a sudden, it devolves into a story about, you know, bumblebees. And that's all you're talking about for the rest of the time. Right? Yellow you, jackets, John, yellow bumblebees, jackets. Bumblebees, yellow jackets, <laughs> they're all buzz around. But the point of the story is it, it, it's got to be, you know, when you're hiring, don't look for your, somebody that's just like you. Look for the best possible person for the position. That's why having a process and how you do that, having the questions that you ask, coming up with the model of the type of person that you're looking for, you know, before you go out there so you can know what the traits are that you're looking for when you're asking the questions because the, the traits that you're looking for are going to have specific questions that you're going to ask. But don't just hang your head on. You want to find somebody like you. And that's one of the hugest mistakes that are out there. I mean, it's that's why it's so many people, oh, I thought he was just like, like you said, I thought he was just like me. He was just like me. He was just, uh, you know, just, you know, that's one of the biggest, biggest caveats. Don't do that to yourself. All you're going to do is put yourself in an early grade or bankruptcy, one of those two. That's great advice, John. Um, just so you know, I started off with a blank piece of Well, as as uh, Dwayne The Rock Johnson said in Moana, you're welcome. <laughs> Thank you, John. So, John, how does somebody get a hold of you that says, hey, probably can't afford this cat, but I sure would like to talk to him. He said a lot of things that make sense. And there's a few things that he said that I didn't quite get. I want to talk to him and ask him a couple of questions. How, how do people well, get a hold of you, John? How do they get a hold of this cat? They can do it right now. Is They can reach out to me at 216-347-6729. And just like you said, Pete, it doesn't matter You know if... If you decide not to do anything with me, let's have a sales talk. Because the conversation, and Pete, you know this for a fact, because the conversations we have when we're talking, when you're driving somewhere, or I'm driving somewhere, or we get each other on the phone, the things that come out and we're talking, and we're always like, oh, that could be a whole show. I can't believe we ruined it by just talking about it on the phone for 15 minutes. <laughs> so, I mean, I just love talking about sales. So, you've got a question, you got something come up, please 
come up, pick my brain. I love talking about sales. You, know, you, you see some value in it. We'll talk about it. We'll go from there. But you know, at the end of the day, you know, it's it's the the thing that most people forget is everybody needs a coach. Everybody does. You know, I, I always like to do this thing. I, I say, uh, what you know, what is LeBron James, Michael Jordan, uh, Manny Ramirez, Roger Clemens, Aaron Donald, uh, Troy Aikman, Baker Mayfield. What do all those people have in common? They've all had coaches. Okay. They've all had coaches. So there's nothing wrong with saying that, but you know, we, we let our ego get in the way. Okay. You've got to, this is the line I learned from you. We've got to set our pride aside. Okay. Yes. Yes. Because even I have a coach, even I have somebody that I use to bounce things off of and to follow up on stuff because I don't know everything. I'm not the font of all knowledge. I wish I was because I wouldn't be on a podcast at, at you know, in the middle of the afternoon. I'd be on a boat called La, La Dolce Vita somewhere in the middle of the Mediterranean. So, you know, not everybody knows everything. Everybody needs help from time to time. Give me a call. Let's talk sales. That's awesome. 347-6729. Call me right meow. Call John at 216-347-6729. Thanks, John. Have a great day. Appreciate you. Thanks, Pete. Talk to you soon. Take care.